hey, if we haven't met yet, my name is Mike, and I serve on the team here at Active Church, and I'm just so, <laughs> so thankful for you. And I'm so thankful that when there is an opportunity to really love and serve, you rise to the occasion. There has never not been a time that you have not risen to the occasion. And so thank you so much for being a church that says, what do you need? And we got it. And I love that we were able to just overwhelm them. Our goal was to make Mike cry. And uh, he was crying before he even saw our gift to him. And so that was an incredible, incredible moment, friends. Uh, honored that you are here. Also heard today, before we, we jump in, I heard that there's a crew from Forest Home that's here. Awesome. Great to have you guys. Honored to have you here as well. Um, I, I'm so glad you're here because I know that life can get really complicated. I know it can get complicated for me. Uh, this week, uh, two things happened in my life, and it was my fault. Um, I first spilled water on my laptop, and uh, so all of my files and everything that I have for church, and then I also do a, a podcast with my brother, and, and that, was, that was gone, and so I, that was my fault, and my kids rightfully made fun of me, um, and, and my wife rightfully helped fix the, the problem that I, that I caused. And then this week I was sitting at Starbucks with a few of our team, and I went to scoot my stool over, and uh, I lost my balance, and I fell. I'm 43, I shouldn't be falling, right? Like, like that shouldn't happen. In fact, when I got home and I told my kids that, my son was like, I thought we'd have some more time before this took place, dad. <laughs> I, I thought we weren't there yet, you know? So, um, so uh, he's, he's currently looking for a new place to live. But, um, <laughs> but we can make life really complicated, can't we? Life can get really complicated. It's why we've shown up here it's why we're looking for something more than what we have. It's why for a lot of us, we're intrigued by Jesus because the things that are, things that we're pursuing in life just haven't met the desires of our hearts and our souls. And, and for some of us, it's why we follow Jesus for as long as we follow Jesus. Because life can get really complicated. And I've learned in my life, perhaps you've learned this as well, that there are three main factors for why life is complicated for ourselves. In fact, I'm going to make a statement here, and we don't have time to really tease it out, but I think that there will be a day where we need to tease it out, but that nobody undermines your success more than you. Nobody undermines my success more than me. We can be our own worst enemy, can't we? With our thoughts and with our feelings and with our actions and with our belief, we can work against ourselves on the regular. The second factor that makes life really complicated is other people. The relationships that we are in that may, may not be so healthy and so holy for us. And this is not to condemn them or judge them or cast them aside, but it is true that there are relationships that we have had and there are relationships that we are currently in that are just not good for us. And they good because those people that hurt us and harmed us it's why you struggle with church. It's why we're honored that you would even show up today and give God one more opportunity. There, there's a third factor, and the third factor, quite honestly, is really weird. 
It's a factor that Jesus actually introduced in the scriptures, and it's a factor that the writers of the scriptures introduced. And, and I, I'm sharing it with you because it's a reality. We take the words of Jesus serious around here because anybody that predicts their death and resurrection and then actually does it is somebody we should probably pay attention to, right? And so this third factor, it's weird, but it is a factor. And I'll explain why it's weird in a minute, but the factor that Jesus introduces that makes life complicated and the writers of the scriptures introduce is the reality of an actual enemy. Like Jesus actually says and interacts with an actual enemy of God who is also an enemy of the people of God. And there's a name that Jesus uses and the writers of the scriptures use. They don't settle on one particular name. They just call this being a few different names like the devil, the enemy, Satan, Lucifer. The writers of the scriptures actually say that he's the accuser, he's the tempter. And, and here's why it's weird. There, there's a couple of layers to this. The, the first layer is when we think of the enemy or when we think of the devil, it's hard for us not to go to a place where we think of somebody with horns, all in red, long tail, pitchfork, right? We think of that. Or maybe the image you get in your mind is like a Raiders fan, right? Like when you think, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Maybe the image that you get in your mind is a Dodgers fan. Maybe that's what you, you think of. Is there anybody else I can insult today? I was wondering. The Rams fan, yes, thank you, thank you. That was a Rams fan that said that out loud. At least they're self-aware, right? Um, now that you've completely disengaged with the conversation today, let me draw you back in. But the truth is, is that when we think of the enemy, we think of the devil, we think of Satan, maybe that's the first image that we actually think about. And for some of us, that's just what we've been taught. It's what we were raised in, and so we're comfortable with it. But for a lot of us, especially if you're new today here in the room or you're watching online, this may have been the reason why you walked away from faith in the first place. It may be the reason why you struggle with faith because you're like the enemy, like the devil. Like, that's, it's just hard for you to accept. It's hard for you to acknowledge because it just, it's weird. And can I, can I just say to you, I've been a Christian for a long time since I was eight years old, right? So just a couple of years ago. And so I, I came to know Jesus at a young age and, and it's still weird. It's still strange, but we take it serious because Jesus takes it serious. I heard one scholar put the description of the enemy in a really helpful way, that the enemy is someone that may not be able to win you over, but the enemy is someone that tempts you to the edge in life, invites you to jump, and then mocks you when you do. And I thought that was a really great description of what the enemy does. See, we always think of the, the being and what he looks like and and, and, and all of those things, but in reality, when you read the scriptures and you listen to Jesus and you see the words of Jesus, he talks about how the enemy is, is an accuser and how the enemy works against us and how the enemy actually uses your own thoughts against you and how the enemy uses other people's thoughts and feelings and words and actions against you and how the enemy tries to get you to not even acknowledge that there is an enemy at all. The second reason why this is weird 
is because when we think about the devil, maybe you go to the place of where people will blame the devil for the evil in the world and actually not take the ownership that they need to take for the evil that they have actually participated in in this world. In other words, the devil made me do it, so I'm not responsible. The devil made me do it, so I'm not accountable. The devil made me do it, so I don't have ownership. Blame the devil, don't blame me. Here's the, here's the thing that we all need to hear this morning, and we could spend a lot of time with this phrase as well. Jesus and the writers of the scriptures are very clear that you are always accountable for your decisions. You're always responsible, and you should always take ownership. But the reality is that Jesus is very clear that we can be our own worst enemy, we can make other people the enemy, but Jesus goes, let me tell you about the real enemy. And the reason why we're talking about this is because we've been in this series called With You Always over the last few weeks. These were the last words of Jesus to his first century followers. And these words carried them, inspired them, helped them to live bold and courageous lives, lives that are actually documented in the scriptures, in the letter of Acts, and after that. And then lives that are teased out, the story of Jesus that is teased out in this really powerful letter called Revelation at the end of the scriptures. And John was there when he heard Jesus say, I'm with you always. And then John would not recant his faith, would not deny Jesus, and so he was tortured for it. Because he didn't die, he was left on an island. And on this island, God gives him a vision of what the story of God looks like from beginning to end. And he begins to write it down. And here's the thing that we've all really settled on in this series, is that the letter of Revelation is written to them in their time. But there are things that we can gain and learn from for us today. And today we're actually going to spend some time in Revelation chapter 12. So if you have a Bible with you or you have access to the Bible app, I want to invite you to turn to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. The verses will be on the screen for you as well. But here's why we're having this conversation, this strange conversation about the enemy. Because what John is shown by Jesus in Revelation 12 is how God faces and fights the enemy of God and the enemy of the people of God. And what we're going to learn, and this is great, is that God doesn't use the weapons that you and I would choose to use. That when God chooses to face and fight the enemy, he does it in such an inspiring, miraculous, holy sort of way that we are invited to do the same when the enemy comes against us. And how the enemy comes against us is in our own thoughts and in our own feelings and in the words and the actions of other people. And we suddenly make ourselves the enemy or make them the enemy. And what Jesus is saying is, is listen, we're all accountable. We're all responsible, but I need you to know that there's an enemy that I'm facing and that I'm fighting. And by the way, he's defeated and he's desperate. And so what John shows us is how Jesus faces this enemy. And then he invites us to do the same. And so I want you to see what John saw. I want you to hear what John wrote. And then I want you to learn and perhaps even choose to follow the way of Jesus today. So give you a glimpse of the, the battle that, that Jesus shows John first. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, it reads this way. There was a woman clothed with the sun, 
With the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head, she was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. We've talked about this in the series. If you haven't been with us, here's what you need to know, that this letter isn't written linear. This letter is written in a way that God is just showing John all sorts of pictures and images and descriptions. And he's saying, John, pay attention over here. And John, now look at this. And John, open up that window or open up that door and see this. And in this moment, John is actually taken back about 90 years. This letter was written in about 96 AD. And John was taken back about 90 years to a moment that you and I are all familiar with a moment that even if you're not a Christian, you're familiar with, John is taken back to the Christmas story. And he sees a woman who is pregnant, but it's not the story that you and I are familiar with. It's what was happening behind the scenes. It was what was happening beneath the thing. And what Jesus shows John is there's this woman who is pregnant and this woman, scholars assume, believe, and are convinced that this woman represents Mary the mother of Jesus. And she's pregnant with the son of God. And the first thing that Jesus announces to John that he wants that first audience to see, but he also wants you and me to see today is that when God decided to fight the enemy, he chose one of us. And the way that he decided to fight this enemy, the evil and the death that this enemy threatens people with, God decided to fight the enemy with life. Life and with light. You'll notice that John says that she had the sun and the moon and the stars all over her. That's just John saying that this moment brought light into dark places because what Mary was about to do was to give birth to the light of the world. His name is Jesus. And those that trust in Jesus are the light of the world because they follow the way of Jesus. Isn't it interesting that when evil rises, God doesn't pick up the weapons that you and I would pick up. God fights evil and darkness and death with life and with light. And then we see in chapter 12, verse three, that an enormous dragon, red dragon, with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its head showed up. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky. It flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so it might devour her child the moment he was born. In the Hebrew culture, colors, numbers, they all carry a much deeper meaning than just the color or the number. So what we see here is a red dragon, red being the the color of blood. What John wants us to see, what Jesus ultimately wants us to know is that this is the enemy who threatens with death. He's a killer. And then the numbers that you see, the the seven and the 10 represent authority and strength. That's why we have to remember that this letter was written for them in their time. It was written to that first audience. And so they would immediately understand what John was communicating here. But what we find in this moment is that this woman, this mom is standing up to the evil that is threatening her child 
And isn't that true of every mom? Isn't that true, mom, if you had somebody who was threatening your kid that you would wanna be the first person to stand in front of that kid and go, you gotta get through me in order to get to them. And what we see in this moment is actually not just a singular moment. What we see in this moment is actually the exclamation point of what has happened throughout all of biblical history. In fact, all of earthly, worldly history that women have notoriously been the ones that would step up and fight evil first. Stephen Dempster, who's an author and a scholar, actually writes about this. He says, from the beginning, it was Eve versus the serpent. It was Sarah and Rebecca versus barrenness. It was Tamar versus Judah, Jochebed and Miriam versus Pharaoh, Deborah and Joel versus Sisera, Ruth and Naomi versus death, Hannah versus barrenness. In all of these examples of struggle, these women of faith are engaged in a battle to save Save the people of God. On a side note, this is why we cannot dismiss the role, the leadership, the authority, and the gifting of the females who have decided to bend the knee to Almighty God. And when we do, when we do, and we question their leadership and we question what they're able to do in the body of Christ. Well, when we do that, we actually are removing the first line of defense for evil and the ones who bring life. And I don't say this just as a girl dad. I say this as a follower of Jesus because this is what Jesus teaches. And this is what we see in this letter. This is a different kind of Christmas story, right? This isn't silent night, holy night, although we do sing silent night, holy night. This isn't the three wise men, although the wise men showed up, right? This isn't the shepherds in the field keeping watch over their flock at night, although that did happen. All of that happened. But what Jesus is showing John is what was happening behind the scenes. Let me pull the curtain back for you, bro, because here is what was taking place in that moment. The enemy was trying to threaten me and the enemy was trying to threaten you. And God said, not gonna have it. And I'm gonna fight the enemy with life. And I'm gonna fight the enemy with light. Eugene Peterson put it this way, John's task is to not allow us to sentimentalize the nativity into coziness or domesticate it into worldliness. John wanted us to see that this is not the nativity story that we grew up with, but it's the nativity story all the same. The birth of Jesus excites more than wonder. Hear me, it incites evil. Meaning that whenever there's something good, there will be resistance and pushback. And what Jesus says is that sometimes comes from your own thoughts and your own feelings. Sometimes it comes from other people, but Jesus actually points us to, there is an enemy that's working. There is an enemy that's pushing. And even on that first Christmas night, he was working and he was pushing to try to destroy what God was doing. Now for clarity, we're still gonna sing Silent Night, Holy Night. And on Christmas Eve here at Active Church, there will not be a dragon on stage. I just want you to know. 
If you're a Harry Potter fan, you can watch that at home, okay? But here at Active, we'll continue to sing those because that's what we know as the historical story. But what John is seeing is actually what was happening behind the scenes. And then John says something so important. I don't want you to miss it because this is probably the most insightful statement as he's just sharing what he sees. This is the most insightful statement that will help us and direct us in where we're going next. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, he says, Then the dragon was enraged at the woman, because the woman gave birth to the Son of God, and he brought life and light into this world. He brought salvation and forgiveness and freedom into this world, and the enemy knew that it had been defeated, and that eventually would be defeated on the cross and through the resurrection. And so then, the enemy knowing this, John says, the enemy went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, you, me, those who keep the commands of God and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Do you want to know why things are messy and why you can make things messy? It's because we have a bent to do our own thing. We have a leaning to choose our own pride. And what Jesus is saying is that that's the thing he has come to redeem and to renew and to reconcile. But we also have an enemy that tempts us to the edge in life, invites us to jump, and then mocks us when we do. Can't win you over. Won't get you to bend the knee. But if he can distract you, if he can misalign you, if he can stir you up over something that doesn't matter, then this, this is a victory for him, for you, because then you step out of why you were created. That's why some of you showed up, because you've been living in this rhythm that you know is not satisfying to your soul. That's why some of you serve, because you know that you need that over what you were doing before. And this is what John says is happening from Jesus. And then what I love is he doesn't just leave it there and say, well, God's on the throne, so just trust in him. He actually gives us a way forward. Like, what do we do when we're our own worst enemy? And what do we do when we make other people the enemy? And what do we do ultimately when the enemy of God and the people of God come after us? What do we do? John says, let me give you a direction. Gives us three things. The first thing, the first way, the first fight, the first way we face this enemy is found in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. He says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night comes after you. The first way that the enemy will come after you is through accusation. That you might be innocent, but there might be an accusation. And isn't it true that accusation is believed first always by us or by others, whether it's true or not? This is how the enemy will come against you, to get you to believe the accusations of the things that are being said about you or you're saying about yourself. The enemy wants to take from you what is yours, to take from you what is true about you. And the reason why he comes after you is to take you out of the fight for the hearts of people. This is what the letter of Revelation is really all about, friends. 
we've made this letter about what it's not about. What it actually is about is Jesus inviting us into the fight for the hearts of people. And we don't fight with the weapons of the world. We fight like our heavenly father fights for us. And we've maybe been struggling with accusation because maybe you've been carrying around a word that your father said to you that 10, 15, 20 years later, you still haven't been able to shake. You're carrying around an accusation of a wound that someone did to you that has shaped and defined all of your relationships. It might be why you struggle with intimacy. It might be why you struggle with friendship. It might be why. And only you can do the work to work that through. But maybe that's why you're doing what it is that you're doing. Something was spoken over you. Something was done to you. Something that has defined you for far too long. And the goal is to get you to agree so that you'll stop doing what you were created to do. Like, let me give you, let me give you a, a couple of examples. Some of us believe that we are unworthy of God or God is unworthy of us because we've been so frustrated with God or we've been frustrated with ourselves and our relationship with God. It might be one of the reasons why you've stayed away from environments like this. And what happens when we actually find ourselves feeling unworthy or believing God is unworthy, we've been frustrated and we've been bitter. One of the things that we do is we stop engaging God. For example, we stop praying to God. We stop talking with our heavenly father because we have doubts. And we think that doubts eliminate us from a relationship with God. Isn't it fascinating that when we have doubts about God, we don't go to God to actually wrestle with those doubts. We go to other things to which I would say, isn't God the expert on God? Wouldn't we want to go to God when we have doubts about God? Like if you struggled to believe that I am who I am, I wouldn't want you to talk to anybody else. You could, but I'm the expert on Mike. Why would you go to anybody else? And the the good news about God that's different about me is that God is a, a God who's real and true and full of integrity and character. It's where I get it from. It's where you get it from. We know that we don't have to not believe the words of God because he's a promise keeper. But often for many of us, we just choose not to pray. Or maybe we choose not to pray because we feel unworthy. You know what's fascinating? I've been doing this a long time. And the thing that I, I, I constantly hear from those that I love and those that I'm learning to love is that we are so afraid to pray because we believe that we don't know how to do it. Or we're so afraid to pray out loud Like if I asked one of you to pray out loud today, you would never come back, right? (laughs) That was a beautiful moment because it it hit you and then it was like, oh yeah, right? Like I just felt the roll of that across the room because we're just so afraid. We're not sure what we're gonna do. What do we say out loud? How do we pray out loud? And so we just, we we leave that up to other people. Here's what I would say to you. Can you say to God, God, I don't know how to pray. Can you say that to God? Because if you could say that to God, you just prayed. And your heavenly father invites you to speak with him. Your heavenly father invites you to engage with him. 
Stephen Foster is uh, an author who writes an incredible book about the disciplines in our relationship with God, the disciplines of faith. And he talks about how prayer, prayer is moving our lives into the, the spotlight that God is shining so that we can participate in what God is doing in this life, in this moment, right now. But one of the things that we believed, the accusation that we believed is that we're just not good enough to pray. Or maybe you've believed that if you're not good enough to read the scriptures. Friends, I'm not smarter than you. They just gave me a microphone today. You you can read the scriptures like I can read the scriptures. And what we can discover from the scriptures is the story that God is writing and inviting us to step into today. And so how do we fight accusations? We fight accusations with true answers. We fight accusations with what is true about us and about God. So when you have a thought that isn't true, you fight it with what is true. When someone says to you something about you or about God that isn't true, you fight it with what is true. And here's how you find out what's true. In your prayer time with your heavenly father and in the time that you spend in the word of God. Listen, I love Sundays, and this, is, this for a lot of us is the best day of the week. But what Sundays do for us is it allows us to follow Jesus on Monday. And you can follow Jesus by talking to your Heavenly Father because of your relationship with Jesus. And you can follow Jesus by spending time in the Scriptures. Maybe you just need to ask for help, or maybe you just need to start by having maybe an alert, a Bible verse, some sort of Scripture come to your phone. Maybe you need to start somewhere. But a lot of us don't start anywhere. We just look to other people to figure it out for us. And it might be one of the reasons why your relationship with God doesn't feel intimate or close or powerful or extraordinary. We fight the accusations that we are less than with true answers. And friends, it's not the elite that changed the world. It's those of us on the ground. It's you and it's me. I'm not a huge uh, TV show watcher. Usually it's ESPN or it's like classic TV shows that just play in the background while we're talking and working at my house. But one of the shows that my son and I started watching this last year that I loved was the show Andor, part of the Star Wars universe. And I loved Andor and here's why I loved Andor. There was no Jedi, there was no force, There were no men and women with magical laser swords that they would fight each other with. You know who it was about? It was about people like you and me. It was the rebels fighting the evil empire. And when they started the fight, you know who joined in? The power did. The powerful did. Because they lived inspiring lives. And when you look at the lives of those first century Christians, the one who are receiving this letter of revelation... Those lives inspired others to follow Jesus. It's not the elite that lead the way. It's those that feel unqualified that get qualified by following Jesus. This is the first fight. But then John's not done. He says there's a second fight, the fight of deceit. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 says this. And the great dragon was hurled down and that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. The goal of the enemy is to distract, to bring deceit, to turn your attention to something else. Deceit is when you have 
bad info or bad understanding or bad posture. I think the one that we probably struggle with the most is our posture. The belief that you need to do it on your own if it's gonna happen. The belief that you by yourself need to self-help yourself to actually achieve things in life. The belief that you don't have support, that you don't have love, that it's all about you. And so then you've convinced yourself, I've convinced myself that we have to self-help ourselves, that we, we believe that, that we are enough and we gotta believe in ourselves and that we gotta to, to, to follow our heart and we gotta live our truth. And what we find when we live that way is it doesn't actually satisfy our soul. What we find if we live that way, it doesn't actually stir our hearts for something better. It's bad info, it's bad understanding, it's a bad posture. And so how do we fight deceit? We fight deceit with, with what is real. And the words of the Son of God, Jesus, that are documented in the scriptures are what are real about God and real about you. So instead of believing that you are enough, the scriptures teach you that you're not enough, but that God is. Instead of believing that you should believe in yourself, the scriptures actually teach that you should deny yourself and you should believe in God. Instead of believing that you should follow your heart, the scriptures teach you need a new heart and you find it when you follow Jesus. And instead of believing in your truth, Jesus says, I'm the way. And I'm the truth, that leads to life. This is how we fight deceit, the things that we are not aware of, or the, the, the bad posture, the bad information, the bad understanding. The Bible, friends, helps us to know Jesus and follow Jesus thoughtfully and intentionally. And, and, and quite frankly, what I've just said might bother you a bit. I don't think self-help is bad, wrong, or sinful. It's just not enough because it doesn't save our soul. It doesn't deal with the things that are built into us that God put into us. And what we can often do is we can ignore the words of Jesus because it goes against maybe what we've been taught for a long time if we're new to this, or maybe perhaps we just have this particular understanding and so anything fresh and anything new will push against us and we don't like it. And we have a tension when it comes to the words of Jesus. The tension is this, will I submit or will I ignore? And here's the beautiful part about following Jesus is that you get to decide. You are not forced. You are not demanded. But what I've discovered is that often we can change our beliefs because it's easier to change our beliefs than it is our behavior. And what we found in the scriptures is what is true about God and true about what God says about you and me. And when it confronts us, we should allow it to confront us. When it challenges us, we should allow it to challenge us. History shows that there are those that are prominent that you're aware of, that I'm aware of. History shows that there have been many people who have decided to pivot their beliefs instead of their behavior because the words of God challenged them. Like for example, you're familiar with Thomas Jefferson, right? Thomas Jefferson created what's called the Jefferson Bible. And you can look it up. The Jefferson Bible is a Bible 
with all of the miraculous work of God, the miraculous work of Jesus on earth, cut out. Because Thomas didn't believe that it was actually true. Or how about the slave Bible? There's a slave Bible. You can look it up. It was the slave owners in, in Europe and the slave owners in this country who took out all of the things that spoke about the value and the dignity and the way that each of us were created. They took it all out of the scriptures so that the slaves would not revolt against their masters and these masters called themselves Christians. See, when we get confronted with the word of God, we can do one of two things. We bend the knee or we run. Tim Keller, great theologian, pastor, author, passed away this week. He has this great quote about us in the scriptures. He says, what happens if you eliminate anything from the Bible that offends your sensibility or crosses your will? If you pick and choose what you want to believe and reject the rest, how will, how will you ever have a God who can contradict you? You won't. You'll have a God in your own making, not a God with whom you can have a relationship and a genuine interaction. If your God can say things that outrage you and make you struggle as in a real friendship or marriage, know that you have gotten a hold of the real God and not some figment of your imagination. An authoritative Bible is not the enemy of a personal relationship with God. It is a precondition for it. Let me say it this way. If God never bothers you, then it's probably not the God of the Bible. If God never pushes on you, challenges you, inspires you, then it's probably not the God of the Bible. It's a God of your own making. And for a lot of us who are Christians, who've been Christians for a long time, we love to make God in our own image. And that's the work of the enemy. To, to cause us to believe something that isn't true, to deceive. And we fight deceit with real answers. And then the last fight is the fight against death. Revelation chapter 12, verse four says, the dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. The threat of death is not a threat. It's inevitable. We all know it's coming. We just don't know when. And so we live a life trying to push it as far as we can away from us. For some of us, we're so afraid of it. We live a life of fear and then we call ourselves Christians when Jesus says that you should not be afraid. It's actually the number one command in all of the New Testament. And yet many of us live with anxiety and worry and nervousness and fear and we don't do anything about it. And we call ourselves followers? Jesus goes, that's not following me. That's just being a Christian. That's wearing a title. The threat of death is what the enemy brings. But then here's what's beautiful about the story of Jesus. Jesus showed up and what did he do? He chose death. Not afraid of it. He chose it. And then he defeated it by resurrecting from the grave. In fact, Jesus disarms the fear of death by resurrecting from the grave. And this disarms the fear that you can have and the fear that I can have and the fear that the first century Christians could have. 
it's so fascinating to me to read about those first century Christians because when they were threatened with death and they were because of their belief in Jesus, what you'll find historically is that there were moments where they were scared. But in those moments, they would say to those that were threatening them with death, they would say, what are you gonna do, kill me? Because then I get to be face to face with the one who I'm following right now. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, put it this way, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's remarkable and extraordinary. We see death as loss, but God sees death as gain. And so we fight the reality of death and the fear of death and the threat of death. We fight death with a life well lived. We fight death by telling the story of Jesus and bringing heaven to earth. And then when we take our last breath here, our first breath is in the presence of God. The enemy's defeated because Jesus rose from the grave. You and I can live in a rhythm of life where we don't have to be afraid because the one who holds us in his hands has held death in his hands and beat it down with life. One theologian was asked one time about, would we know, will people know when they leave earth and actually enter into heaven? Will we know immediately? And I think all of us would probably say like, of course, because you're leaving earth, right? Like this is terrible and you would know when you're in heaven. But this theologian actually answered this question this way. Well, if a follower of Jesus is following Jesus and submitting and bending the knee to Jesus on earth, my guess would be as they bring heaven to earth, when they take their last breath here and their first breath in heaven, they may not know it for the first few minutes because they've been living such a heaven on earth sort of life that they might have a moment where they'll go, wait a second, where am I? Because they've decided that they're not going to wait until they get to heaven to live the life of heaven. They're gonna choose to live it now. We saw a glimpse of heaven on this stage this morning as we brought food for those in need to love and support friends who lead an incredible ministry. They bring heaven to earth. And this how we face the reality of death with a life well lived. So to recap, we fight accusation with true answers. We fight deceit with what is real. And we fight death with a life well lived because we do not fight the way that we would normally fight we don't fight like our politicians fight. We don't fight like Republicans or Democrats fight. We don't fight like everybody else around us fights. We don't even fight like Americans fight. We fight like followers of Jesus, whose God is our heavenly father and whose Jesus is Lord. And we fight that way and only that way. Maybe you're unsatisfied. Maybe you're empty. Maybe you feel like you lack purpose because maybe the fight that you've been fighting is the one that 
the media and social media and the world around us has invited you to fight. Maybe perhaps today is the day where you recognize that you are not the enemy and they are not the enemy, but there is an enemy. And the way that we fight that enemy is with life and with light. Which is why I want to finish our time together honoring how God has fought for us by taking communion together. We do this each and every week at Active. And it's a moment for us to posture our hearts to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, who fought for us by choosing death and then resurrecting from the grave and bringing life.